0: If you have your Bibles, if you want to go ahead and find Romans chapter 14, uh, as we prepare to hear from God's Word. Um, we've been in Romans for quite some time. We're working our way through. We're in chapter 14, which is holds a lot of insight for us in dealing with gray areas of the Christian life. Um, the context of Romans 14 is about Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Jewish Christians feeling uh, religious restriction regarding their diet and certain holy days and things that they would drink. Um, the Gentile Christians generally feeling more their freedom in Christ to eat whatever they would like and to to not feel restricted to certain holy days and the friction that came from that. That's the content of the passage. But as we talked about last week, even though there are often um, passages with narrow content in Scripture there are broader applications that we can draw from it. So I know, again, you weren't waking up this morning wondering about Jewish dietary restrictions and if you should abide by those or how you should relate to people who feel that you should. I know that's not on your minds, but we find broad applications to the truths in this passage that are very helpful to us. So we've been talking about how to relate to one another in the gray areas— in areas in which Christians can disagree with each other while still honoring the Lord. We're not talking about the essentials. We're not talking about Jesus and his sinless life and his atoning death. We're not talking about the gospel. We're talking about non-essential things, secondary things that are important, but that we may disagree on and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. So we've we've spent a lot of time working through chapter 14 learning how to love each other and not judge each other and serve each other when we disagree with each other. Uh, Today, the train of thought shifts more to how to think in the gray areas than how to relate. So what we're going to hear today has more to do with how you make your decisions in the gray areas as a Christian. Okay, so... We'll see three principles in here. It's a rich passage. There's much more that we could talk about, but we'll focus on three principles in this last paragraph of Romans 14. And if you're able, and if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to stand as an expression of honor to the reading of God's word. We'll begin at verse 20 in Romans 14, which says, do not for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now let's pray and ask for God's help to understand his word. Father, we're so grateful that we can come together and we can read your words. we're so grateful that you've given us the Holy Spirit that illuminates them for us and helps us understand them and live and be changed and transformed by them. I pray that that miraculous transaction would take place this morning. Please enable me to serve your people well. Please give us ears that hear and eyes that see. Lord, help us to see clearly areas of sin in our lives and to confess and repent, to receive uh, clean consciences before you, to receive those blessings that you promise in this passage, and to live in light of our faith in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So these first verses that I read, verses twenty through the first half of twenty two, we have really spent a lot of time studying what these verses say in the rest of the chapter. So I'll read them once more just to give us momentum heading into the last half of this passage, and those are the verses we're gonna dwell on tonight. The first verses that we're not really gonna dwell on, did I say tonight. This morning. <laughs> do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, that's a loaded passage of Scripture. But again, we've spent a great deal of time studying these ideas in the rest of the chapter. So I'm just going to bypass those verses into the second half. But if you've missed any of our study of the rest of Romans 14, it's all available on the website. I've typed the recaps of the sermons and the audio is now available on there, too. So you can go catch up. Uh, But for this morning or tonight, however you want, it's, it's nighttime for somebody somewhere on the globe. We're going to focus on... The second half of verse 22 and verse 23. And we're going to see three principles that will help us to think clearly in the areas that are not black and white. That are not clearly called sin and not clearly commands in scripture. The first one in the second half of verse 22 is this. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves now this word blessed if you look back into the root into the origins of the original language it means literally to make large and we know from the way it's used all through scripture it means to make large with the benefits and advantages of god so when you see it here It means to be enlarged by the benefits and advantages of God. Now, when you see the word blessed in Scripture, it never says what you would think. It's always something unexpected. The world says that you will be blessed, that you will be enlarged with benefits and advantages if you have financial security, if you have physical fitness. If you have fame, if you have material wealth, if you eat the right foods, drink the right drinks, hang out with the right people, then you will be blessed. Then you will be enlarged with benefits and advantages. But the Bible never takes that approach. So if you wonder how you can be blessed, how you can be enlarged with God's benefits and advantages, don't listen to the world's advice listen to the bibles which is always dramatically different and if you don't believe me go look in the sermon on the mount at the beatitudes in matthew chapter 5 let me read some of them to you. i wasn't going to but i am going to as it turns out here's how jesus describes the blessed person blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. That is not the same list that you will get on Oprah or at the magazine rag. Any other way to be blessed is what we tend to go for. But here in this passage, we have a very specific description of the blessed person. The blessed person is the person with a clean conscience. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. The person who has worked to become fully convinced in his own mind regarding his decisions and his lifestyle, that he has no reason to pass judgment on himself. So the principle here is enter into gray areas as a Christian in in such a way that you'll emerge with a clean conscience before god so maybe one way to help this hit home for us is to think about entertainment one of the broad applications of these principles has to do with our decisions as it relates to entertainment how many of you this is all always falls flat how many of you have netflix okay a good bit over here not so many over there Netflix is a service that you can use on your computer or your iPhone or your iPad or whatever, or your TV, where you can queue up any movie or television show that they have in their Netflix library. And they have a lot of things. Uh, One neat feature of Netflix is when you first pull it up, if you pull it up on your TV, it has up there a scrolling list of recently watched shows and movies. Now I know some people who have shared Netflix accounts to save money. I'm not going to ask if that is any of you, but all you need is to know someone else's password and you can use their Netflix account and save yourself from having to pay for the um, monthly subscription. You didn't hear that from me. (laughs) Now, I've talked to friends who have done this and they've shared Netflix accounts, and many of them have said that they ended up regretting it ultimately because all of their recently viewed shows and movies were then available to be seen by their friends with whom they were sharing. So it was like their whole uh, scrolling journal of what they've entertained themselves with was out there for the public to see. And they realized they had reason to pass judgment on themselves for what they approved with their remote control. So I bring that up. Do you have areas in which you have reason to pass judgment on yourself for what you approve? If we projected your Netflix Home screen with recently viewed items. Would you have reason for shame and regret? It's not always easy to tell when it's it's just us, but when it comes into the light of day and others see it, it can become more obvious where we have reasons to pass judgment on ourselves for what we approve. Um, now, I'm not espousing some kind of old school legalism where, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist. There was a healthy contingent in my church of. You know, no dancing, no drums, no cards, no nothing. It's all sin. That kind of old school legalism, that's not what we're after. That's not what Paul is after. What God is after for us in this passage is the blessedness of clean conscience before the Lord. I ran across a quote from Benjamin Franklin. He said, a good conscience is a continual Christmas. Christmas. So if you want to be blessed, one way is to live according to your conscience. Don't betray it. Don't do things that will cause yourself to have reason to pass judgment on yourself. If you want to bless others, which is more pertinent to the context of this chapter, allow them to live per their conscience. Don't try to coerce them into behaviors that you think are better. Instead, build them up in Christ their conscience will become better informed by scripture and the behavior will follow. Remember the whole context of this passage is the stronger in faith, we're trying to coerce the weaker in faith to just eat the food that they thought was unholy. And Paul is saying, no, it's good for them to operate within their conscience here. Instead, build them up in Christ and they'll grow, they'll grow and they'll grow stronger and then they can eat the food and feel free to and not feel... The cursedness of an impure conscience. So, now maybe some of us in here do not feel enlarged by the benefits and advantages of God. We, we do not experience and enjoy the blessedness that is ours in Christ. And maybe that's you. Maybe some of you feel that way. Maybe you feel more shrunken and empty. And you don't feel as though you've tasted the benefits and advantages of God in Christ in a while. Maybe this is one place to consider. Maybe this is something that you need to repent of and change. And maybe you will start to enjoy those, those blessings that are yours in Christ. Are there areas in which you have reason to pass judgment on yourself for what you approve? If so, it's not my hope for you to feel condemned Or to just beat yourself up. If you have approved of things or are participating in things because of um, pressure or pack mentality of, of running with worldly Christians or Christians who are just nominal Christians, don't just feel condemned and beat yourself up. Confess that to the Lord and repent and change. Be forgiven, move forward. So the first principle for us in thinking about the gray areas, the areas that are not clearly black and white, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. The second one in the beginning of verse 23, whoever has doubts is condemned if he proceeds. The verse actually literally says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. Proceeding into an activity while suspecting that it might dishonor your Lord is condemnable. Even if the activity itself is fine. If you proceed into it suspecting that it might be disobedient or dishonoring to your Lord, then the activity for you becomes sin. So for these Roman Christians, it was fine to eat the meat or drink the wine or abstain from the certain holy days. But if those believers really thought that it was going to be dishonoring to the Lord to eat that steak, to drink that wine, then for them to do so, it would have been real sin. So it's not the content of the plate or the cup or the can or the uh, TV program or the conversation itself that necessarily makes it sin. It's the content of our hearts as we enter into it. Take the alcohol question, for example. I told you last week about, you know, the example with me and my friend. If my friend took a sip of wine with dinner, but in the back of his mind he thought, I don't know about this, I know my friend here says that we're free in Christ. It's drunkenness that is a sin, not alcohol that is a sin. But I'm not sure about this. For him to take that sip is sin. Not because the alcohol content of the glass is sin. Because in his heart, he's not doing it from faith. He's doing it for some other reason. He's feeling pressured from, from a person. Now... This comes dangerously close to something called moral relativism where there is no absolute right or wrong and what's right for me could be wrong for you or what's wrong for me could be right for you. Some people believe that. That's not what the Bible teaches. Remember, we're talking about gray area issues here. So we're not talking about killing somebody. It doesn't matter the content of your heart if you kill somebody, that's sin. We're not talking about stealing things. If you steal batteries from the supply closet in the office, which they disappear and we don't know where they go, it doesn't matter the content of your heart when you take those batteries, stealing is sin. There are clear wrongs, there are clear rights, but we are left on our own to navigate in between, to decide at what point it becomes right or, or, or becomes sin. That's the areas in which we're talking about. This is a very nuanced, Scripture has a very nuanced and complex view of these things. It doesn't just give us a list of do's and don'ts. So, it's equally important to consider your heart motives as the endeavor or the action itself when thinking through these things. Don't just think about the activity itself. Don't just try to come up with a list of these are good activities, these are bad activities. Think about your heart as you approach these activities. Am I living in faith in all the things that I know to be true in Jesus, or am I coming motivated from some other area? So the reason it is sin, it is condemnable to proceed into an activity or a religious practice doubting is because it is not from faith. Which leads us to the third, the final point, the final principle that will help us think in the gray areas. The end of verse 23. This is a huge statement. Just let these words just impact you. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is a massive statement to drop on us this morning. See, we have this false conception that there are clear categories. There's good things to do. If you do these, God's pleased with you. They are good. Church attendance, uh, giving to the poor, that kind of stuff falls in the good things category. Then there's neutral things. God doesn't really care about what goes on in this category. Um, you know, what you have for lunch today, these, these kinds of matters. Those are just, who cares about that? And then there's bad things. This is where murdering people and stealing batteries falls. Okay? We think that there are these three clearly defined categories. And then God steps in and says, no, anything done that is not done from faith for a Christian is sin." is falling short, is missing the mark, anything. So that immediately breaches these walls that we build up between activities and and it floods into all of our categories. It means that what we're doing right now could be sin if it does not proceed from faith. So my preaching right now could be sin if my preaching does not proceed from faith. Your listening right now could be sin if it is not proceeding from faith. So clearly we need to understand what he means by proceed from faith because this is starting to get scary. I've told you this many times. I only have the one illustration to... To make it plain, but when the Bible says faith, it's talking about entrustedness. It's not talking about magical belief like we have for Santa Claus. If we just believe hard enough, deep enough, it'll become true or it'll remain true. That's not what the Bible's talking about. It's not talking about you mustering up magical belief. Okay, Jesus is true whether we believe in him or not. It's not the kind of belief that, you know, some people feel like if they wear their team's jersey while they watch and cheer for them, they're actually going to do better. That's superstitious nonsense. Christian faith is not superstitious nonsense. It's very real entrustedness. I don't think that's even a word, but it gets the point of what I mean across. It's entrustedness. The same way you entrusted your full weight into your church pew The same way you entrust your full weight into a hammock. I know I always use the hammock, but it's a perfect illustration in my mind. When you sit down in a hammock, you sink further and further into it. And at some point, you've got to let your feet off the ground. You're not sitting in a hammock while you still have your feet on the ground. You're just crouching with some sort of a weird net. You're you're not entrusted fully in Jesus Christ while your feet are still on the ground and trusting other things too. So faith... When the Bible talks faith, it's talking about that kind of entrustedness in Jesus Christ, in his teaching, in his example, in his power, in his atoning work, making, you know, clearing the way between you and God by clean, cleaning your sins away, trust in his forgiveness, trust in his redemption, trust in his justification that he makes us innocent. Trust in uh, the adoption that we have through him as sons and daughters of God. Trust that he is sanctifying us, that we are becoming more like him over time. I want to read to you a list that was emailed to me by somebody in our church that I forgot to tell I was going to read their list. But thank you to the person who did all this work for me. I want to read you a list of things that are true about you as a Christian. Okay? To proceed from faith in the way that this verse means means to proceed in light of all this I'm about to read as if all this is true, okay? As a Christian, you are a member of Christ's body. You have the mind of Christ. You are God's temple. You are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, You are united with the Lord, one spirit with him. You have been bought with a price and belong to God. You are deeply loved. You are born of God and the evil one cannot touch you. You are one of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. You are a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You are a child of the light. You have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. You are the sweet fragrance of Christ to God. You are a minister of reconciliation for God. You are his ambassador. You have Christ's righteousness. You have been given great and precious promises by God. You have not been given a a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. You have been rescued from Satan's domain and transferred into the kingdom of Christ. You are completely forgiven of all your sins. You are totally acceptable and accepted. You are firmly rooted and built up in Christ. You are complete in Christ. You are hidden with Christ in God. You are chosen by God, holy and dearly loved. You are a saint. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are blessed in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You have been chosen by God and adopted as his child... You were chosen before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in God's sight. You were predestined to be adopted as his child through Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. You have redemption through his blood. You are God's workmanship. You have direct access to God through the Spirit. You are a member of God's household built on the foundation of Jesus. You are made alive together with Christ. You are raised up with Christ. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms... You are saved by grace. You may approach God with boldness, freedom, and confidence. You can put off your old self and put on your new self. You are sanctified. You have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. You are helped by God. You have access to God's wisdom. You are tenderly loved by God. You are God's child. You know the good shepherd, and he knows you. Jesus is in the Father, and you are in Jesus You are a friend of Jesus Christ. You have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. You are a branch of Jesus Christ, the true vine, and channel his life. Jesus is glorified in you. You do not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Your name is written in heaven. You are the salt of the earth, the light of the earth. You are confident that God will... You can have confidence that God will complete the good work he started in you. You are a citizen of heaven... You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Your needs are met by God. Your name is in the book of life. You have been justified. You have peace with God. You are reconciled to God. You are free from sin and death. You are a joint heir with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. You are assured that God works for your good in all circumstances. You are predestined to be conformed to Jesus' image. You're free from any condemnation brought against you. You cannot be separated from By anything from the love of God, you are more than a conqueror of every problem or challenge. That is what we are called to have faith in as Christians. And anything that does not proceed from this is sin. This is as a Christian, becomes the umbrella that goes over everything that we are and every decision that we make and everything that we do. This becomes our identity. This is who we are. So we proceed into the gray areas into every other area, in light of this, or else it falls short of what God has done for us. It's sin. Faith in this is what would have enabled these Christians in the Roman church to eat the meat, drink the drink, forget about the holy day. Faith that this is who they were in Christ. This is what enables us to live boldly. Now, Perhaps some of us in here are not Christians, and that long list of things are not true of you. For you, if you know that you've never tasted that, you know that that's not your identity. For you, I just invite you to come to Christ. Come talk to me after the service, and we'll together pray for all this to become true of you in Jesus Christ. For the rest of us, for for those who are Christians, for, for whom that list is true, when we grab the remote or when we open the menu or when we kneel to talk to our children or when we enter the church, we need to do so saying, I am a Christian, therefore, I will proceed in this way. This isn't minefield Christianity where we're just trying to get across the field afraid we're going to blow up when we make a wrong step. We are Christians, meaning that all of that is true of us. Therefore, we will live a certain way. We will make decisions in a certain way. So I don't want you... In the gray areas, thinking, "Oh, does this fall into the good category, or the bad category?" Because I want to do more good category stuff, the bad category stuff, and you've got your clipboard and you're and you're checking it all. That's not what how God wants us to live. God wants us to grow strong in our faith and our new identity in Christ, and then just blaze forward, glorifying God in what we do, honoring the Lord in what we do, worshiping Him in everything that we do, fully free and forgiven in Christ. Fully committed to glorifying him in all things and serving people in all things. I am a Christian. Therefore, I will eat in this way. I will entertain in this way. I will go to these places. Not this thing is on the bad list, so I'm not going to do it. Do you see the difference between the two ways of living? I hope so. I had a professor, the same one I always talk about, Dr. Cat, who uh, urged his class to write down little cards, how can I glorify God today, and just put them places. And I still have one in my wallet, and that was a long time ago. Maybe we would benefit from just writing on little cards and, or little sticky notes. I am a Christian, therefore. Put it in our wallet, put it on our mirror, put it in our car, so that we can live and proceed in everything in faith and what God has done for us through Jesus Christ.